Welcome back, everybody. Um, my name is Dante, as you probably already know. I'm just here to, you know, basically the topic of today is going to be talking about basically my first experience at a rainbow gathering and kind of how I discovered that I'm not really a hippie and that I'm not as free-spirited and like cool and whatever as I thought I was. Um, I feel like amongst my friends, like I'm known as the person who's willing to like try some, you know, we'll say obscure things. Like I tried when I went to Peru, I tried ayahuasca. Um, and then I also, I went to like holistic doctors. Um, I did Ayurveda. Um, basically I like if, if if there's something that so, someone says oh yeah this is gonna bring you enlightenment or you're gonna like learn something or it'll be like a really interesting or cool experience or whatever I feel like I'm usually pretty open to like try it so I had got invited to this rainbow gathering by first I, I met this Brazilian girl randomly through somebody else and we were we went to go eat beans because that's what you do in Macedonia, apparently, especially on a Friday. You go and eat beans. So we went and ate beans, her and some other people, and she ended up inviting me to this rainbow gathering. And she's like, oh, yes, it's all about love and like opening your heart and blah, blah, blah. And it's like a beautiful experience. And I think you'd really like it. And so I was like, oh, yeah, that sounds like really cool, like whatever. I, I didn't know really how much I would be into it because she was also talking about how like a lot of people get naked. And um, then it was also in the mountains. And I'm like, I know it's probably going to be cold. But anyway, the, a week later, I went out with this other girl that I had met like a week or so before, or maybe two weeks before. And like we went out and had a drink and we were like talking and hanging out. And then she told me about the festival as well, or not the festival, the gathering. And so I was like, okay, two people have told me about this and invited me to it. So maybe this is a sign. Cause I also am a person who like, maybe I'm meant to do this. Like maybe like, I don't know. I kind of believe in signs. So um, after that, I was like, okay, I really want to go, but I am a tourist here. I don't have a car. I don't speak the language. I really don't know my way around. I don't even know how to drive a manual car. Like in the US, most of the cars are automatic. So that's really all that I know how to drive. So I was like, I really don't know how I'm gonna get to this place that's this many hours away and you know, how this all, and then, and then, yeah. So that that's, that's another thing. Um, then I found uh, three other people who were going, but they were all were people who like work here. So they're like, oh, I don't know when I'll be able to have time off from work. And so long story short, I went to Belgrade again for a week, which I had filmed the video there. Yes, I did. And so you guys know I was in Belgrade. And so while I was there, one of the people that I had asked about it called me and was like, or messaged me and was like, hey, I'm gonna go this Friday. And so I wasn't planning on coming back to uh, Macedonia until uh, Saturday, or I was going to take the bus on Saturday, probably get here on Sunday, because I actually had a tattoo appointment on Friday, which this is my new tattoo. Uh, you can kind of see it. Maybe I'll see if I can add the picture in there. But anyway, long story short, everything kind of worked out 
even though it wasn't seeming like it was going to work out like the guy that I was going to go with or the guy that I was going with he ended up having like a work thing so then he couldn't actually leave on Friday like he planned the lady who was doing my tattoo had a cancellation so she ended up being able to move my appointment up and then even though the bus times weren't accurate because like they're, they're kind of weird with COVID the times aren't always up to date um but I was able to get like a bus and be able to get here by like basically Saturday morning at four in the morning which or four thirty in the morning which was perfect because uh then the guy that I was going with he wasn't going to be leaving until like 10 or 10 30 so I could take like a like power nap but basically long story short or not even short because this is not even this is just the beginning um it was very very like rushed and I also had a friend oh this is another thing that kind of like worked out that was kind of like amazing is um, I didn't have like a tent. I didn't have a sleeping bag. I didn't have like any of those things. And also while I was in Belgrade, one of my other friends who I didn't even know was going, uh, told me that he was going, but he's going by bike and that, um, asked if I could take his tent and his sleeping bag and everything up there. So that way he didn't have to carry all that with him on his bike. And so that was perfect because I didn't have a bike or I mean I didn't have a sleeping bag I didn't have a tent I didn't have any of these things so long story short I was like oh wow like everything is coming to alignment this is like meant to be it's going to be this amazing beautiful experience like I don't know I thought I was going to have like this soul life-changing experience um so we like go um like my my friend comes and picks me up on Saturday morning and we set off on this adventure and it's like a really nice we like talking because also this is also very random I feel like everything in life with me is random because like I had met the guy that I ended up going up there with I had met him one time like two weeks ago or so and hadn't really had that much communication with him in between except to tell him hey like let me know if you go to this festival because I want to like drive with you so like basically on the drive up there we were like getting to know each other and like talking a little bit more and um, we got lost because the, the instructions on how to get to the place aren't really, really clear like um, it's kind of like a word of mouth thing I think um, I, I think that there is a website I don't actually I don't know I don't know from what I understand it's a word of mouth thing and whatever and so the directions are like very not clear and then they don't really have signage because it's not really like a public event it's kind of like a private uh secret i don't know event i don't know how to describe it and so um we we get there and everybody is basically like it's it's cold and everybody is like barefoot like everybody nobody's wearing shoes like there's like maybe two people out of I would say 5% of the people are, are, are wearing shoes. Everybody else, the other 95 are not wearing shoes. And um, I don't know, like, I just feel like it, like everybody was very friendly. Everybody was really, really warm and very nice. I just feel like it seems to me that, and I hope that I'm going to exp explain or express this in the right way because I don't want it to, to come off the wrong way. I just feel like they're still like in society, like this is the kind of like a, okay, we're anti-society, anti them putting their rules. But then I feel like you go into this other society and then there's all these rules of what you're not supposed to do and what you're, what's not allowed. Like, um, for instance, at one point I was hungry, like they, like there's like a food circle twice a day, or at least at this one that I went to, we had a food circle like twice a day. So if you were hungry, any other time like I was eating some bread 
And then the girl was like, uh, oh, you're really not supposed to eat like as an individual in public. Like you're not supposed to just be eating by yourself, like amongst other people, you know, by yourself. Like that's not that's not acceptable. And I know that when we went there, like it's mostly like it's well, not mostly it is vegan. Um, so that was another thing I had brought. I have like I have a candy addiction. I'm not gonna lie, I am addicted to candy. So I bought some Haribo gummy bears, and so I was eating my not even gummy bears. They were like these um, Haribo strawberry things, and uh, so I was eating my little strawberry candies. And then the guy, one of the guys, like made a comment about that, like, "Oh, you know that has animal products in it," and I just don't eat anything that has a face and blah blah blah. And so, I don't know, like, it was just, I, I had also bought, like, uh, the, one of these cans of, like, it was, like, soda water. And I and then, like, my friend told me, oh, no, you're not supposed to eat that in the circle because, or drink that in the circle because that's consumerism and blah, blah, blah. But I'm like, I can have a bottle of water from the city that I bought or whatever, but I can't have, like, soda water. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know, like, I just, I guess I just don't like, like, I thought it was going to be like this free love, whatever. Yes, okay, you don't, don't litter, don't litter, don't, don't, you know, have trash everywhere. Like, those things make sense, but I don't like those, like, kind of things where we're supposed to be so free and, like, whatever, but then we're going to judge you because you are eating in public or because you like gummies or... Like, I don't know. Like, I just I just didn't like it. And then, like, everyone's like, oh, well, uh, well, with your shoes, if you take, like, someone told me, well, for me, like, when I take off my shoes, my body acclimates to to nature and, like, that regulates my body temperature. And I felt like I was kind of being judged a little bit for, like, keeping my shoes on the whole time. And then I guess you're not supposed to come in with your shoes into the circle. And then, um, basically... Every time before you eat, uh, you have to sing, you hold hands and you sing songs and that's all fine and dandy. But then like, I feel like sometimes some people like keep on going with the songs and sometimes you're hungry and you just want to eat your food and you don't want to like just hold hands and sing. You want to like sit down and eat and just in enjoy it. And then I also feel like I already like, it's, and it's really crazy because the thing is I went to Burning Man and I know Burning Man, like I know a lot of people are like, oh, Burning Man isn't what it used to be, whatever. But I, I, I bring it up to say that I was there for, I forgot if it was seven or eight days. And even though I wasn't showering, showering, oh, I, don't, I feel like I'm not saying, I'm not pronouncing that right. But even though I wasn't showering, I didn't feel dirty like I don't know I, I felt dirty but it was it was like a different kind of dirt and I don't know if it's maybe because like we were in the mountains we were with the trees there was bugs everywhere um maybe that's why I felt more gross and I feel like also I was peeing outside and I feel like I don't know what it is with me and peeing outside but I think I just have a very strong pee stream. I think that's what it is. Because whenever I pee outside, it comes out with so much force that it sprays on my pants, sprays on my shoes. Sometimes, like, I have to, like, lean back because it'll, like, try to spray. Like, I just feel like... So I feel like being outside, peeing outside, I feel like I was, like, always, like, covered in pee. Like, I feel like I always had pee on me. And, like, 
there it was too cold like it like you're in the mountain so of course the river is cold then it's cold outside so then i didn't feel like super comfortable like cleaning myself in the river because i knew i was just going to be like really really cold and also long I, I forgot to mention this part in the story so my friend who like gave me stuff for camping um he didn't have a sleeping bag um he he had a sleeping mat that i could sleep on but there was no sleeping bag so um i had to share a sleeping bag with the person that i went up there with and it was it was really cold we'll just say that like i had my coat i had on two pairs of socks i had on two pairs of pants i had on like uh three two shirts and a sweatshirt and like still tried to cover my face because i was like my face was like so cold like i was just really cold and so um yeah like i don't know maybe i think maybe it would have been a different experience if it was somewhere hot that had water and i could go into the water or waterfall and like clean myself but i just felt like really like gross the whole time but okay i don't want to just say all all bad things because it was people were very loving i i got lots of hugs um and it was it was a very good experience to see like people working together and people willing to to I don't know give of themselves like um in order they knew that more people were coming i went like early um early in the process so i know it's, there's they said there's gonna be more stuff going on and more people are coming but they were like they were digging steps to make it so that way people could have clear paths to get to where they needed to go um they were creating tarps over the shit pit so that way you could poop without having rain get on you or rain get in the poop and overflow that and so i feel like i don't know like it was really like shows you like people doing like acts of service which i think is really amazing and really really wonderful um yeah so and, and i and I, i don't know people were very friendly like i met a lot of wonderful people i learned about a lot about like a, a lot about a lot of different lifestyles um i just don't know if it's for me i feel like maybe i think i'm too uptight i i don't mind um i don't know because like they're like it's the whole thing lasts for like a month almost um and so i can't imagine being there for a whole month like i was there for three days like two nights three days and for me that was the perfect amount of time uh because by the time i came back i smelled awful um i felt dirty um like i don't know like i don't know it's really and, and and the thing is i'm not like this like super uh clean like ooh like i don't know i'm not that prissy kind of girl but but i guess i don't know i don't know why i don't know why that that i was like i said i went to burning man i was there for seven eight days i maybe showered one of the days or two of the days i was there but it just felt different and maybe you would think it would be worse because it's hot but maybe because the dust or alkaline i know it's called like alkaline powder or whatever from the alkaline bed of the lake i don't know what it's called but i don't know if maybe that's the reason why it felt a little bit i felt cleaner there oh and then okay so then this is another thing so we hike back down from the mountain and we're about to get in the car to come back um he's going to drop me off at my house and um it's about a two hour drive 
and basically um, there was this guy down there and he uh, saw me and he was like oh I love your energy I love your spirit and your soul and then he wanted me to sit down with him and so he's just like no we have to do the rainbow handshake or whatever and he like basically put his hand on my heart and put my hand on his heart and then we were basically doing like a meditation kind of thing or whatever you want to call it and so he was like oh do you hear the birds blah 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 I just assumed that he was just like one of these spiritual guys or whatever and so then he was asking me about if I was going to stay and I said no I'm leaving I said I have to because like I don't I don't think I've really talked about this too much like I'm currently trying to do this teaching English as a foreign language. I'm also currently trying to do this website uh, as a way to earn income. So that way it'll hopefully allow me to stay and not have to go back to the U.S. And so I'm working on a couple things and he was like, oh, no, you have to open your mind. Um, there's actually, you know, a better way. You don't have to to live your life this way. You can travel with me. He asked me if I met this other person on the mountain I said oh yeah I met them and he's like yeah he's been traveling with me for a year this is my RV you can travel with me for a year and this man is probably around I would say in his mid 40s maybe a little bit older actually I'd probably say older I would say older maybe late 40s early 50s so I'm just thinking like he's just a spiritual man I'm not thinking like anything other than that and so I'm like, yeah, no, I got to go back, whatever. And so then we get in the car and then he, uh, my friend goes up to circle around to come back. And basically when he does that, the guy puts his thumb out and then he's like, oh yeah, I want to go to Skopje now too. So I'm thinking, cause he's like a traveler. He's been all around the world. He's traveled everywhere. And so I'm thinking, okay, he probably has friends in the same city that I live. Cause it's a big city. Or not a big city, but one of the main cities. So I'm like, he probably has a friend here. And so he gets in the car. He he just brings like a few pairs of clothes, his ukulele, and like, uh, I think a violin. And he like gets in the car. So like I said, it's about two hour drive. And he was like, he, he had asked me, and I should, I'm going to mention that he asked me, oh, do you want me to, I can, or would you, is it okay if I give you a massage, like rub your shoulders? I was like, oh yeah, that's fine. But then... Like, I feel like I immediately regretted it. Cause like, I feel like, like I said, I've been on, I've been on this thing for, for two, two days. People like massage, people give you hugs. Like it's not a big deal, but he like kept stroking my neck, touching my hair, touching my hair. Like it was just like, it was just like too much. And then like, I, like when I, when I was trying to use my phone, he was like, no, no, you need to focus. You need to focus. You need to be present. But keep in mind, like I have been in the mountains for three days um, I know how my parents are. I know how my family is. They like freak out if they can't get a hold of me. So I wanted to make contact. And then he's like, no, hand contact. So then the whole, like for probably like an hour of the drive, I'm having to hold this man's, he's in the backseat, like holding this man's hands like this. And I was like, this is just so awkward. So we get about 40 minutes out from um, basically where I live. And then this is when he's like, oh, I don't have a place to stay. Can I stay with you? And at this point, I'm like, no. Normally, like, I'm like a pushover. But in this situation, I was like, this is super awkward. It's super weird. He's been, like, stroking my my neck, like, stroking my hair, 
keep like uh like it's just it's just weird it's just a very weird situation and it's uncomfortable and um so i'm like no i said i i i have a lot of things i need to do um i need some time by myself and then he's like oh well i guess i'll just walk the streets all night keep in mind in macedonia there is a curfew for midnight so you're not even allowed to be on the streets after midnight so i really don't know what he's gonna do and i'm sorry i feel like i'm looking at this and i'm like this video is already 20 minutes long so i'm gonna try to like shorten this uh, long story short, fortunately, my friend who I went with was very nice, and he's like, um, I, I have some money. I can get you uh, a hostel. And then this man was like, okay, maybe we can meet for lunch, but if you don't show up, it's fine. So I didn't show up because I didn't want to meet him for lunch. And then he basically messages me. He goes to a store, and he messages me. And it's like, oh, you said that you were going to travel with me. You said that you were going to give up this worldly life and, you know, basically recenter yourself. I don't know. And I was like, no, I, I, I never said that. But then he like called me and then he wants me to Facebook message him. And I'm like, I don't know. It's just really weird because also like keep in mind, like he we when we're in the car and we're making this drive, he's talking about how he really wanted to have. Uh, as children and then I was like oh well do you have any children and he was like yes and I'm like oh where are they they're with their mom to me that's like so crazy you want children so bad and they have he has two there's two different uh, mothers and it's just so crazy to me that you want to have children so bad but then your children are not with you and you seem to be like kind of okay with it you're like oh well it's their mom's fault or their decision I don't know I don't know take this with a grain of salt like I I guess I, I I feel like I I think I just got the wrong impression I had thought one way I just thought I I guess you just have to ask questions ask questions people uh, don't don't assume uh, otherwise you may end up in some awkward situations that you really don't want to be in and I feel like I find myself in these awkward situations quite often and you would think that at this point I would know better to like ask some questions and to say no when things are getting very weird and cr and creepy and I mean I did say no about him staying with me and I did not meet him and I'm not gonna message him and I don't think he's like a bad person like I think he's probably a fantastic he's a great person it's just that I'm not I guess at that point in my life where I'm ready to just you know give up my life and go live in the woods or 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 whatever I feel like I, I do like having a little bit of independence and decision making as far as what I'm going to do so um sorry that this is so long I, I guess it kind of turned into a a rant and I did not mean for it to turn into a rant because like I said I think it's really beautiful for a lot of people I think it's a life-changing experience I just want to say that uh but just for me I think I'm too uptight and um I don't think I'm as free as I thought I was. But sometimes you have to have these experiences. So maybe it was meant to be. Maybe I was meant to go to realize, hey, I'm kind of traditional in some ways. I'm not as woo as I as I thought I was. You know, Burning Man is not um, a indicator of you being free. And I guess I, I do have to admit, even with Burning Man, I really struggle with the porta potties. Like to me, having a clean bathroom 
and a comfortable place to use. Yeah, having a comfortable place to use the bathroom is so important to me. I think that's one of the most important things to me. Um, but anyways, um, I will leave it at that. And if you guys have any questions or comments, um, please leave those below. And please uh, like and subscribe. And yeah, I, I actually already have some other things I want to talk about as well. But I feel like this video was already too long. So I will leave it at that. the pages and read the news, the dirty stories and facts abuse, and everywhere I read it seems that Elvis is still in their dreams. But it's more than strange to hear some knave say, Elvis has risen from the grave, because I figure they found him there a heap of flab with an empty stare, and hauled him out like a load of lead, because Elvis was already dead. 
Now, way back when, they tell the story, the biggest hit was, that's Samore. The hit parade was full of fluff when some folks said, let's call the bluff. The ink spots splashed and the platters spun. And while Joe McCarthy was undone, a young white dude from Tennessee heard the beat and said, that's for me. This kid named Elvis got this wishing to be a crazy bop musician. So he hit some notes on his guitar, jumped into a big old car, did some gigs down south in Nashville. You have to say he wasn't bashful. He'd shimmy and he'd shake his hip and raise his head and twist his lips, open up and start to wail like something that came out of jail. Made them dudes all jump and shout like someone had just let them out. And little girls of the younger said, roll their eyes and just got wet. Well, the colonel said, this ain't no joke. Let's steal more tunes from the colored folk. So they hit, say, hmm, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so they, they, let me see now. Yeah, they, let's steal more tunes from the colored folk. So they, so they put, put some notes out and hit, played hound dog, made a hit like falling off a log. And they put them on Ed Sullivan and every other mother's son figured this must be the end as they watched his body bend and twist into a jillion shapes and made them all want to be apes. They put out some more 45s and I must admit things came alive. And rock and roll came on big, so much soul it made the pigs snort and bluster and make a smell, saying, Stop that stuff, we're going to hell. The kids replied, You're just a slug, commenced to do the jitterbug. So Elvis knew he was on top and figured like he couldn't stop when a colonel said, It would be groovy to make a bunch of real bad movies. <laughs> so Elvis soon was on the screen, turning all the critics green with poses, cameos, and whatnot, and a bunch of songs that you forgot. Pointless scenes and plotless ditties. But fortunately, he was pretty. So adulation, fame, and money came so fast it wasn't funny. And so it goes when you're a star and don't remember who you are. Seems that you're just what they see and that is all you learn to be. And that's how Elvis saw himself like a caricature on the shelf. And when his pelvis went to his head, Elvis was already dead. Good evening, my name's Gladys. Uh, gonna try to be a little bit funny. God, it's so hard to remember how. Uh, I moved to a different city recently. And you know, when you do something like that, it can be so hard to meet new people. But boy, it's easy to meet old people. <laughs> they are eager to talk. Just right, just right on the bus. That's how I met my grandpa, actually. Uh, during COVID, been up to a lot of writing. Get a lot of writing done. I wrote a prequel to Jaws. No. It's called No Sharks Here. <laughs> Shark Free Town. I wrote a prequel to The Exorcist. It's called This Girl's Fine. She's normal and shit. <laughs> I was in line at the bank with my boyfriend. He pointed at some of the tellers. He said, hey, marry, fuck, kill. And I said, uh, yeah, that's the plan. <laughs> so I come, I come from one of those big southern families in the south, uh, the deep south, let me tell you. One of those places where they think that like Sprite is good for you because it's clear. <laughs> and they reuse the name Chris a lot in my family. We got like four Chrises. We got little Chris. We got my cousin, big Chris. 
we have my brother, City Chris. And even though my brother is both taller than Big Chris and has a lower BMI than Little Chris, they call him City Chris because he got caught reading a book in a duck blind. And he never, never lived it down. Hey, a lot of people these days into polyamory. Uh, I don't know much about that life. Uh, I do know, from what I've observed, uh, if you're going to open up your relationship, if you're going to have like an open marriage, it seems like it's going to be a lot like opening up a good bottle of red wine. In that once you do it, once you open it, uh, it's going to last about five days. <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm joking. But seriously, they could be so sanctimonious about it. They really believe that it's like not just falling in love with a bunch of people. It's a better way to live. I feel like sometimes they're saying to me, uh, hey, you know, I can have my cake and I can eat it too. And they're also saying, you know, cake eating, it's one of the highest virtues. <laughs> and I'm a little more enlightened than you because of all the cake that I ate. <laughs> I also hear him saying to me, hey, can I spend the night at your house because they are all mad at me. I, I can't go back to that apartment. I got the cake all over me. Now I need to take a shower. Uh, so I was at the library recently. I saw a sign for adult coloring time. You know about this? You know the coloring's not just for little kids and people that got hit really hard in the head, right? These days it's for adults to do right out in the open. And this sign, this sign at the library, here's what it said verbatim. It said, adult coloring time. Join us from 1 to 3 p.m. in the upstairs reading room. Or just stop by for however long you like. And that last part really tripped me out. Because like of all the things about adult coloring time, yeah, I know I can leave when I want to. Oh, this isn't the one where you lock the doors. This isn't the one where I have to keep going after my hand cramps up. Yeah, I know. Basically, most signs have that little subtext after it that you, you don't need. You know, like, they don't need to put class meets three times a week. Or never, if that's what you want. Just don't show up. This is a fire exit. Or just stay in the fire, bro. It's your life burned to death in the hallway of this Ramada Inn. I came here on a mission from God. Some people may know that I've been um, in the trenches working on the right to gather for 28 years. It started in... Uh, when we landed in D.C. when they first proposed this group use regulation in, in May 93 and uh, Thomas the gnarly peace gnome of Peace Park, the guy who held the vigil and crossed from the White House for 27, 8 years. He showed up at both gatherings. There were two gatherings that year, one in Alabama and one in Kentucky. Because of some confusion and some snit between scouts, but there were two gatherings that year Thomas went to both places, and here's a guy. You want to call him a wonk, you can, because who else reads the Federal Register and knows when the Forest Service publishes a proposed rulemaking such that he can go notify all the hippies in two locations in Alabama and Kentucky? And what wound up happening is hundreds of people showed up in D.C. In, uh, after the gatherings, about mid-July, and uh, we uh, made a big stink and a bunch of people circled up and said, well, we had petitions going on and Thomas wanted people to get stuff in the federal record, you know, in the record of the rulemaking, that's how it works. And, but a bunch of us got together and said, 
we gotta lobby Congress. So he invented this new thing because you can't be rainbow and do that stuff. Bad mushrooms. And People for Compassion and Understanding was born and we had about 40 people, volunteers, and we had about 130 congressional offices and, and got, I got drug off the street to write some stuff up. Good lit and we went up and, uh, well, basically stymied that thing for a while. And uh, I've been through all the court cases. Um, we have put up a fight in, oh, let me see, Wisconsin, Missouri, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Pennsylvania again. Um, I'm going to lose count because there have been a lot, of, a lot of cases we've been involved with. I can tell all those dirty stories and um, I can tell you all the dumb things the lawyers didn't get and how stupid the judges were, but we're still in that fight. Now, for the last 10 years, you guys have had it soft because they stopped enforcing the, the permit requirement. Um, 2010 here in Pennsylvania, the reason I think they did that was because we kind of kicked him in the shins. Uh, oh yeah, we appealed nine nine convictions in uh, West Virginia out of 2005 and wound up dumping those convictions. And they saw the the arguments we had, which were insurmountable. And then uh, in New Mexico in 2009, two ladies got signed up, signed the permit at the behest of the Forest Service in a turncoat, and uh, we sued them. And the court in New Mexico said these people didn't have any authority to sign for a free assembly. Mm -hmm. That broke the back of this whole thing of, of trying to compel people to sign for and, and make believe there's some kind of entity when you know it's just folks and nothing here but you and your shoes being yourselves and you do not comprise any kind of entity that's able to hold a permit and that's what a free public assembly is. So, but you guys have had it soft because they haven't been heavy-handed with this but they still got this regulation. A conversation has been going on for decades. It's still, so we were in touch with Mark Ray, the Under Secretary of Agriculture back in old 2003-4 trying to get this regulation changed and um, well for all the different reasons and why hippies go home and 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 think that this Babylonian stuff is the smelliest stuff on earth and I understand that we still haven't solved the problem but we have a petition now that's been submitted to the Department of Agriculture we did it in 2018 you can, well, why don't we just change this regulation to make assembly legal as opposed to a criminal act? And um, we do have a petition that went into the USDA. And of course, the Trump uh, clowns didn't know what to do with it. So we're going to resubmit it. And the dream, the vision is to go to Colorado next year for the 50th anniversary of the first gathering. and. Do you know how damn old I am? I was there. <laughs> and, and the dream is to go to the 50th anniversary gathering with a new regulation that is proper and constitutional. 
and um, have an operating plan for an authorized rainbow gathering in Colorado for the 50th anniversary. I want to talk about this stuff tomorrow. We're going to have a workshop tomorrow. What's a good time? Four? What's a good place? Just keep talking. Here. Now. Here. Now. Four. Tomorrow. Here. Now. Four. Tomorrow. Let's no, talk this about is, the future this, of Rainbow. Right. 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 Now. right because right. it's our mission. It's our mission. Our mission to save the First Amendment for posterity. Yes. We got to do it. And I'll kick the old timers in the shins too because they've set a piss poor example of cooperation. But um, you guys are much more cuddly. <laughs> so uh, let's get it on tomorrow. Four here. Serious uh, discussion because we have need to launch this campaign, and uh, it if if one guy puts a thing in, it's a piece of paper on a shelf from one guy. But if they hear from the public, if they hear from environmental organizations, if they hear from citizens, they say, "Hmm, this is a thing." So I want to talk to people about this stuff tomorrow because there's a lot of. A lot of history that's gone by, and no one's been no one's been talking about it for a while, and I'm pissed off. So join me tomorrow. I love you. Back to you, Matthew. <laughs> um, in a minute, I'm going to introduce our speaker, Garrett Beck, our beloved classmate of 1971, and he is going to talk primarily about experiences as an inventor and innovator of urban gardens for children, which he uh, chronicles in his new book, True Stories. Um, but I want, I want to talk about, he's so modest, that I want to talk about other aspects of the book that might be of interest to you as our as our classmates during that 1967 to 1972 period. Um, those of you who are on campus in May 1968 may remember the visit of the Living Theater Company, which was organized by Garrick's parents. This is covered in the book in detail and hilarious. In, uh, interesting things. What you what he failed to mention were the four students who dropped out that year and left Portland with with the company, truly running away with the circus. So the book has it's a become a bible of the urban children's gardening movement. But for our purposes, the early part that I think you find entertaining is his interface as a child with the leading figures of the of the New York and San Francisco beat movement. Uh, not only did Garrick uh, appear as an actor, as a child in his parents' plays, but he also served as bartender at their parties. And there are wonderful photographs of him lolling on the floor with Jack Kerouac and being um, uh, attentively listened to by Allen Ginsberg. So that part is very entertaining. Thirdly, the book is another example um, of the ties at Reed College to American literature on a broader level, specifically the West Coast beat movement. 
Not only did three of our, our illustrious classmates, Gary Snyder, Lou Welch, and Philip Whalen, become card-carrying members of that, of that movement, but they brought their friends like Allen Ginsberg and others to read where they gave very important um, uh, lectures and, and readings and, and, and encouraging and uh, underscoring the significance of not only Reed students, and, but also the literature and English department at Reed for producing such brilliant writers. Well, after attending Reed, Garrick used his family background in the theater to help create a number of countercultural mass events, um, including the Vortex Festival, the Oregon Country Fair, and even more significantly, as we began hearing more and more in the early 1970s, the Rainbow Gatherings, among others. For the next 13 years, he worked on an organic farm in Oregon's coastal mountain range, and then returned to New York City to help his parents with their theater company. Another source of some hilarious, stupefying anecdotes in this book that everyone wants to buy. It's published by iUniverse. He opened a gem and mineral business and established a children's gardening program in the city school system, which is ongoing today. Garrick, we knew you were talented. I didn't also realize what a great humanitarian you are. Thank you so much for being here today. Matt, am I on? Yes. Matt, that is a... Uh, uh, humbling introduction, but I, I appreciate it. I, I feel that, um, first of all, that when I landed at Reed, I came to a nexus, a vortex, uh, coming together of my peers from every aspect, from the, the, the brilliant mathematicians, the social activists, the the, uh, the, the families of poets, the families of musicians, the families of, of uh, sociologists and political scientists who were at the forefront of so many movements that were just budding. And there we were, 17, 18, 19, 20, 22 years old. There we were thrown together with all of us are, are, are riding on on others' shoulders and the things that we've done with our lives to help what I call the new world culture evolve as opposed to the new world order, the things that we've done with our lives, it's a patchwork. It's not like one thing is gonna save us. It's that somebody, I stumbled into this children's garden program. I'll tell you about that. But somebody else does something in education. Somebody else does something for prisoners. Somebody else does something for, for the, the water, uh, in the river. And altogether, this patchwork makes the tapestry of a new world culture. And uh, I didn't really understand that theory back then. I think we were all stumbling about wildly. And that was, it gave some great beauty to, to our time at Reed. But uh, it was the first time I really met uh, my peer group. Peer friends, yes. But suddenly, I was in the midst of people who were as in 
in, intelligent, as motivated, as, as zany, as, as on the quest as, as myself. And that was a wonderful, wonderful experience, despite whatever difficulties I may have had with the administration. It was a wonderful experience meeting um, my true brothers and sisters. Uh, and I didn't know it at the time. I had no idea, did not understand it then. And slowly it's dawned on me. Um, another book I want to point out about the living theater is being published uh, by Routledge, great British publishing house of theater books. And it is being edited by Kate Breedson, associate professor of theater at Reed College. She is editing my mother's diaries. And she is doing uh, two volumes. And one is due out in August. We'll see if it gets out. Uh, but it will run from 58 to 72, Diaries of Judith Molina, uh, by Judith Molina, of course, edited by uh, Kate Breedson, because Judith's diaries are like 65 bucks, and now we're getting it down to two. And uh, uh, I just say hats off to Kate at Reed for doing that, and maybe when um, the book comes out and things are a little easier, maybe we will meet up there on campus, who knows. Um, the Living Theater came to Reed in the middle of their Paradise Now tour, their most infamous, wildly best attended piece around the world. They had four plays, Antigone, which Judith translated, my mother translated, from uh, Brecht's version of Hollerdine's translation of Sophocles' Antigone. Later, Judith and the Living Theater, we played it in the amphitheater in Italy, where, in Greece, in Greece, Oh, Hume, don't, don't let me make a mistake like that. Uh, in Greece, uh, in the amphitheater where it opened with Sophocles in the, I, I guess, backstage uh, or in the crowd. And uh, so the Living Theater has a long history. Uh, currently, it's a troupe of young actors. There are a few oldsters involved, but uh, we're going to produce next... Um, my father's uh, piece, Daily Light, Daily Life, Daily Speech, Julian Beck's piece. And in this interim, not during the COVID, but in the period before, uh, the theater played um, productions at migrant worker, at migrant camps in, in Greece and uh, on the border uh, outside Tijuana and uh, uh, at, uh, at, at, at other places. We did the, the Tijuana Theater Festival. We did Burning Man. There's more to say about the living theater, but let me say when they came to read in this revolutionary moment, and we played in the Sports Palace, which is now collapsed, I understand. We played in the Sports Palace, and the Sports Palace got built and uh, by someone who wanted to give Reed a sports program. God love him. And uh, the, this couple made this donation to build this. We didn't even have any, any teams that played outside of intramural. I think we still don't. And, and built this fabulous, most expensive building on the campus, or so it looked. And uh, then the girls' intramural volleyball teams in their playoff match all went in naked. And, or so I was, I'm told. And, 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 and this was shocked the donor to the building. And then the Living Theater came with its international renown, and these folks showed up, 
And the, yes, Antigone, very classic. Frankenstein, an adaptation of Shelley's piece. Mysteries in Smaller Pieces, a uh, mysterious trance-like production. And Paradise Now, the play that exhorted everybody in the audience to get off their butts and change the world. And people got naked, and people yelled at each other, and people threw things, and people argued, and, and a read uh, for all its wisdom and progressiveness was not about to get off its butt and march into the streets and uh, take over, uh, make a new uh, uh, benign, loving anarchist revolution uh, that night. Nonetheless, the people who donated for the building came out of that show and said, take our names off this structure. So I leave you with that story. There's so much more to tell. Um, a, a number of people uh, did jump ship from the college and, and run away with the circus. And that was true at Yale. That was true at University of California. That was true at MIT. That was true at, uh, at productions at Reed. And uh, I guess there's ways like that. You get new uh, company members. but. Shall I go on, Matthew? Shall I go on? Shall I talk more about the theater right now? I have some beautiful pictures of the theater at Burning Man I can play for us at the end. Let's, let's, uh, move, the, let's move the theater onto the Q&A and continue with what you were going to also say. What else you want? Right here. Well, what to do after Reed was a real puzzle. Um, and I was close with a group of readies, and we were trying to hash it out and think it out. And um, I, I, I just couldn't see graduating into anything uh, in the professional corporate field. And with uh, Jay Kaplan, Joan Jernigan, Karen McPherson, Dana Gottlieb, Andrew Nadelson, Koshal Yellen, and others, uh, we realized we needed to get out of the city and go back to the land. And we'd heard rumors of back to the land places in New Mexico and Vermont. And uh, with some of the money that uh, would have paid for the, my next year at Reed, um, we acquired, I acquired a, a, a parcel of land uh, in the coast range of Oregon. And, um, and another Reedy, uh, same class, uh, Fred Nemo. Uh, also class of 71, Black Cat Books, Portland, fabulous, brilliant. I, I don't do him justice in my book, Matt. I had him yeah. in the whole piece, and then it, that part got cut because had to chop it. But Fred, absolutely brilliant. And uh, he bought a piece of property right next door to mine that was on the option, and we began trying to farm organically. We hardly knew the word organic. We hardly knew the word. And there we were, kids, babes in the woods, no family experiences of farming and gardening and m marketing. And it was just a huge, a huge project. And everybody knows farming is hard work. And we were readies. We wanted to sleep in. We wanted to get high. We wanted to get partied. And at the same time, we wanted to make a new world. We wanted to cut our own firewood. We wanted to grow our own food. We wanted to save our own seeds. And we began to do that uh, in Southern Oregon. I have some slides here. Can I, can I switch to try to do that on my screen, Matthew? Uh, Carrie would know. Should work for you. Okay, we're going to give this a try here. 
on a wing and a prayer. I'm going to try to uh, see if I can share my screen here. Uh huh. Uh huh. I'm getting there. I got a little spinning wheel. There we go. There we go. All right, I think this is where most of you met me. I figured I'd open up with this. We got there at Reed, but it was, uh, it was um, uh, less than 30 days after we landed. And we did Mr. Dean Dudman going, oh my goodness, what have we brought upon us? And that's the cover of the book. There you go. Arizona Gathering, 1979, Arizona Rainbow. That's the picture that the, that the cover of the book is taken from. So you get to see the whole piece here. And now here I am in the carrot patch. We're growing different kinds of carrots, trying to learn um, what kind of carrots can uh, successfully uh, grow in this soil, be marketed in this soil, and so forth. You know, there's the young me with a sample of it looks like a knot. There we go. There's Karen McPherson, class of 71, pitching hay into uh, one of the, the, the field gardens. Amazing, just amazing. You know, one, one thing about our class, and I'm just going to say this about us, is the fact is uh, so many of us, maybe because of our background and maybe because of who we met and 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 got involved with, with Reed and cross-pollinated ideas and thoughts with each other. So many of us active in the women's movement, in the civil rights movement, in the prisoners movement, in the mental health movement, of course, in the environmental movement. And uh, if I've left any movements out, of course, of course, of course. Karen was so instrumental in, this has hardly been talked about, but I want to give kudos here, in, uh, I don't want to say feminizing, but demachoizing the back to the land movement in, 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 in this country and in the world. She said, that's it. It's not women in the kitchen and men out with the machinery. No, we're all going to pitch in. We're all going to learn the different skills. We're all going to do this together. Otherwise, I don't want your revolution. And I think she, she was a really great influence, not only on us, but on in communities in Northern California, in uh, in Vermont, in Seattle, in New Mexico, because she took that position really strongly. And uh, that class of 71, there we go. That's one of our first gardens. See, we're going to different test vegetables and so forth. We tried doing this, what you see, we all did by hand. We did it with freaking shovels and, and rakes and hose and maybe a little rotavator. Finally, we realized, no, can do this on this scale. There we go, we got the horse. We're out there, Reedies. And, and and friends and folks from other other uh, other scenes around around the country around the world. There we are plowing the field with Bo the horse, and then now we've got Bo pulling a beautiful old timey uh, cedar, 1920s. It was a mechanical cedar that would plop the seeds into the ground, corn, beans, uh, things like that. And it rotated up and down like a carnival ride, like a carousel. There we are, but unbelievable, trying to do it with a horse. There's an A-frame we built in the background. Finally, we consented, we got to get a tractor. Okay, we got a tractor. We're moving into the modern world, kids. We're still using the beautiful, beautiful old 
refurbished uh, uh, cedar. And there's the larger stretch. You can see where we're, this is a couple of years later, we're expanding. Oh, here's the crew of us. We've got uh, Dana's in there, Karen's in there, I'm in there. There we are in front of the cabin, right landed 19, uh, early 19. There we are having fun. Don't just jump up and down. Holler while you jump up and down. Um, so this house here, you, you, you see back here, uh, I guess you can't see that. There's a, yeah, you can see there's a, there's a kind of a, on the right-hand side, there's a, uh, what we're making into a greenhouse. And here we've done the greenhouse entirely in recycled windows. Oh my goodness. We built the dome to live in. There we are. Um, the guy in the middle went on to um, uh, MIT design. This is the dome uh, finished up finally uh, and so forth. Oh, this is me and Karen and now we're having kids. This is the important part of the story. Everybody out there is having children. We're all having children. So what we're doing. This is Karen, class of 71, Karen McPherson, Garrick Beck. That's me. That's Eden. And she is our kid. She's now, she's doing just wonderfully. And um, uh, the point is that the kids grew up and went to school three, four, five years later. Yeah, we could grow the vegetables. This is, a, this is we could grow truckloads of these cauliflowers. But it was hard to sell them. I'll tell you why. But first, I want to say the kids, when they were four and five, three years old, you can feed them mashed turnips. But when they get bigger, they want all other kinds of foods. And they want the right kind of sneakers to go to school in. And they want that kind of stuff. So it was very hard economically to market all the things we needed to uh, sustain it uh, money-wise. And the kids come off the school bus, and what are we going to do? We're in the fields, we're working. Aha. Aha. Crux of the story. Kids come off the school bus, they put their books down, they come down to the field, and now today we're transplanting. And now today we're hoeing. And now today we're, we're doing something with, with wheat in the big field. And now today we are um, weeding. And now today we are... Um, doing something with the plants that the plants need. We're staking them, we're doing this, we're doing that. And we got the kids to work it with us and it was fun. Then it was dinner time and so forth. That's very important because these lessons that we did with the kids, because we didn't know what to do with them after school, turned into the garden program a couple of steps later on. And the thing about marketing, I'll say this briefly, it was very difficult to market the crops, okay, now we've got a truckload of stuff and we're driving to the three, four, five, six stores in the Eugene area, which is our nearest real town. And one store buys $34 worth of the beans and the other beautiful, beautiful green beans, organic, perfect. And another store buys $42 worth of carrots at 10 cents a pound. And another store buys some hanks of garlic and another store, uh, the person who buys isn't there. And at the end of the day, we put the gas in the truck, we all had lunch. And, and, and we made next to nothing. And the infrastructure, things like Whole Foods, Wild Oats, um, Trader Joe's, uh, the, the, the Vegetable Circus, all these places didn't exist. The farmer's markets in Eugene didn't exist. The farmer's market in, 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 
in let, Eugene, let alone Drain, the little town we were in, or Cottage Grove, the middling town. All three of those have farmers markets now, but then they had none. And oh, I must tell you about Michael, Michael Funk. He drove a reefer truck. He said he never carried reefer in it, though he smoked reefer in it. It was his refrigerator truck. And he would come up and down, and uh, once a month or so, he would pick up the vegetables we had bagged and ready for him. And, uh, 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 but he, he, he was on a kind of his own schedule. So he said he'd be there Tuesday. Well, maybe he'd be there Wednesday, or maybe he'd show up early on Monday. It was chaotic like that. And his company... Uh, became uh, United Naturals Foods International largest distributor of, of uh, uh, organic food on earth. And uh, uh, he, 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 it's a multi-billion dollar company. But he had one truck. And like he said, he smoked reefer in it, but he never carried any reefer in it. And uh, one refrigerator truck. It's a great tale. It's part of it all. It all links together. And... Um, we just couldn't uh, market it and make it work. So um, I had the opportunity uh, to work with friends who were also in the organic food business and whom I knew from the rainbow in New York City on the first uh, Whole Life Expo, which many of you have seen. It toured San Francisco. It had a rise and fall. It marketed cotton products and whole life products and all, all different kinds of uh, uh, positive uh, organic things and the whole life expo we put up the sunshine burgers and i had a job flipping burgers and at the end of the expo i the, the little sunshine burger company had to rent space in a bakery where i worked for three next three years and had to rent space in a bakery and we had uh, 20 something shops that wanted the burgers delivered by next week and it was a big success and suddenly i had a job in new york in a bakery oh my goodness i could keep my life together and i had a kid who I got into Children's Liberation Daycare. So a Children's Liberation Daycare made up a Children's Daycare and Liberation Daycare, beautiful East Village event. And we got, uh, we got my kid, and I'm going to tell a funny little side story. <coughs> it's how, it, and a sip of water. It's part of <coughs> So Children's Lib is supposed to develop an event for the uh for the kids to do and i had friends in the theater there so we got together to have a uh, we could take them uptown to a puppet show uh in the city center uh the city bank center uptown and they got us 40 tickets and we arranged all the parents to be chaperones and it was one parent for every two kids because we had to go on the subway and it was the middle of summer and we went up there and and with a great show, except the subway car we got on had no, no uh, air conditioning on it. And everybody was sweltering. It was like 115 degrees. And we got out in Midtown and horns were blaring and traffic was crazy. And we got into the city center thing and the kids were bouncing off the walls. And here are two it's a parochial school group and a private school group. Oh, one all in their little uniforms and the other all in their little tiesies and jacketsies. Cool as a cucumber coming off their air-conditioned travel vans. And our kids were bouncing off the walls. In any case, the school said to me, no, we're not going to do that again. Thank you. It was a good try, but we're not going to do that again. And 
across from where I was staying in the East Village at Joni's place was this building that was starting to collapse. It started to collapse in a big storm. And tiles fell off the roof. Kaboom, 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 because the water came, then it froze under it, it popped the tiles. It was already an abandoned building. There was a bordello on one side and a gambling hall on the other and a crack palace somewhere in there. All the copper had been stripped. So the city had to come along when the tiles started falling off the roof and demolish the building. And this is what it looks like today. And it is a community garden of the first order. And the community got together. Uh, Melinda, a black activist, a longtime black activist uh, from Fifth Street, and Joni from Sixth Street. And those two built, uh, built a little garden behind the uh, two piles of rubble that the city left. And the next year, they connected them. And the third year, I joined the garden. And this is it today. I'm going to just run through these. 6th Street and Avenue B Garden, and I brought the kids to this place, and it was magical. It was the opposite of the puppet show in Midtown. Oh, there's a, there's a stage at this place also. But, but we made garden beds, and each class had a garden bed, and the children were enchanted, and it was beautiful, and they could run around, and they could learn things about nature. And one day, and here's the angel in the story, the Trust for Public Land, which had helped this garden set up its 501c3. The Trust for Public Land shows up with a van uh, full of uh, folks in it, and they come walking in, and they walk around, and they look at the garden, and they get back in the van, and they go. And this fellow from TPL contacts me and says, we saw what you were doing with those children in that garden, and we want to back a program made out of this. And I said, I'm your guy. That's like asking some people to, uh, to, uh, to drink beer and watch the, watch the ball game. And so we began a, uh, a program with the, uh, the, the, the city schools. And they did a test program uh, for second grade classes and fourth grade classes. And they tracked uh, two classes in each, uh, in, in each grade and uniformly. The kids who took the garden program got higher science test scores. Wow. Why? Well, partly because they're learning stuff. But, and you, it's hands-on learning instead of book learning. Uh, but also, we geared the entire program. I'll show you this in the book just a little later in the slides. We geared the entire program to the science learning objectives in the uh, city uh, and the state and the federal uh, books of science learning objectives. It'll be science learning objective number 1034-B987633A, and it is the student knows that the seeds of different plants all look different from each other. Bingo. We taught endless numbers of these things, and if just a couple of them were on the science test, boy, it raised the entire class's score, and they fell in love with me. We took 26 vacant lots in the city of New York with the cooperation of the city and the Board of Education, and we turned them into community gardens using, God bless it, bless them, the forced labor of young children. And this is something we did um, on the wheat project. Part of the program was, uh, part of the program, uh, asked the children, what's the most popular food in the world? 
And I tell you, you ask any second grader or fourth grader, we did it eventually with first graders and sixth graders, you ask any of them, what's the most popular food in the world? And they will tell you it is pizza or ice cream. So we tell them what's the main ingredient in pizza. And eventually we get to the concept of wheat. And we made garden boxes where they did a word. So this class picked the word grow. And from four stories up, you could see the, uh, you could see the word grow in the garden. And I'm going to flash through some other pictures. This is the place we took. Um, this was such a mess, this vacant lot here. We turned it into this. Beautiful. There it is. There's the whole garden in action. There's the kids in the garden with the, uh, with the radishes. Unbelievable, beautiful, fantastic. This is that same garden. This place, we tried an experimental program that didn't work. Uh, because the Parents Association didn't want to go in there and clean these lots up anymore because they were filthy and they had stuff in them, weird stuff. Uh, so they got a group of uh, Rikers Island prisoners in orange jumpsuits to come down here, noon o'clock. I said, guys, you got to do this by four. Take it as easy as possible. They had the guards with their automatic stuff and the flak jackets. And uh, they gave these the guys all kind of these primitive wooden tools and they, uh, they cleaned it up. But that, that, we tried that one time, and that was enough. That was it. There we go. There's, there's, take a look there. Here's the same spot before and after. Roses, beautiful. This is another one. This one is South Jamaica, Queens. And there we are starting to build the beds. And there we are. There's the beds. There's the class uh, doing something, one of the exercises at it. Here's um, in another part of the city. This is older kids. They're learning to use the wheelbarrow. And there they are. We also developed with my partner, uh, Paula Hewitt, who deserves a bunch of credit in this, a program for older students to do two things. One was to mentor the younger kids to come and help teach a program that they'd taken when they were in second or fourth grade. Now they're in seventh grade or eighth grade. They come back and they help mentor the kids in the program. Fabulous. And we also got a program where the seventh and eighth graders would build the boxes. Beautiful. This is almost all built. That's why it's still got clamps on it. There we are. This is the we do this all over the city. And here's the book, Plant and Grow, uh, 100 pages. It's available free online as long as it's not, as long as you don't sell it on your end. Here's an example of a lesson. This is a lesson about seeds. And um, you learn the different lessons about seeds. And we did a bunch of it. Uh, draw buds on trees for the art component of the program. Come back every four weeks and draw the buds on the trees. There you go. Draw a plant and uh, also bilingual. There we have it. There you have it. Oh, my goodness. Um, this was the Heath gardening book. It's a reading book. It's not really a gardening book. It's a reading book. They did all one on, on a garden theme. This is all about reading. They put my kids in it. There you got them. There's me when I had good hair. There's me when I had good hair doing the garden program. Oh, it's such a cute picture. Gerard Depardieu. Uh, they used uh, the, in the movie Green Card. They just they looked at the situation. They took a whole pile of my kids, and those were the kids that got to, you know, paid to be in the movie uh, Green Card with Gerard Depardieu. A hokey movie, but successful and beautiful about the kids in the garden. And this is an example of something that's happened more recently. This is old garden boxes. This is um, uh, from one of the one garden. 
And this, the, the school liked the program so much, they decided to expand it. You can see these are the type that we had the students building with that little edge. This is more or less what it looks like today. They've got these kind of concrete, no rot boxes in the back, wood-like thing, and they made a circle space for the kids to sit at and do, you know, circle, um, uh, whatever kind of social-emotional uh, discussions uh, right there next to the garden. And there you have it. That's my slideshow about the program. Um, Excellent. Carrie, yeah. um, so, do we have two questions? Yeah, so uh, Gary, if you want to stop the screen share, that'll pull us all back together. Perfect. And then um, let's see. I think we'll just open it up. I don't see anything in the chat, so if people just want to unmute and have a discussion and any uh, I, I, I had one question, Garrick. Um, uh, did you find that your uh, liberal arts education or uh, study of the humanities uh, uh, made it more, uh, made it easier for you to deal with so many different approaches uh, simultaneously? Well, the, the, uh... The experience at Reed, um, it, it helped me negotiate uh, some of the bureaucracies. Because in dealing with the Reed bureaucracy, I was volatile. I was really- the curriculum, though. I was seriously in your face. And, and, and the people, remember, people remember that. People know that. Some of that was good. Some of that was not so good. But what I learned was I had to be diplo. I had to be diplomatic in order to, to pull everything together. I couldn't, I couldn't be uh, quite so volatile, and I had, I had to figure out how to do that. And that was there anything in the Hume 110 course or Hume 210 that gave, gave you a sense of grounding to do that? Well, you know, I think, in a way, philosophy is the study of everything. Uh-huh. You know, you have to be a, a full-rounded human being uh, to be able to uh, to deal with all these things. Uh, I I say I certainly in that book, the Plant and Grow book, but that's more like uh, you know English English literature writing than um, than really uh, uh, humanities. I I want to say this. I, I had some great experiences with the. Uh, teachers and professors at Reed, but I gained much more from uh, from uh, my classmates. Let me tell you one thing from the humanities. I was in uh, Fro Fro Frost's class, political science. That was a reading class, vast amounts of reading. Um, now they started us off on Hannah Arendt and said, if you can't get through this, quit now. And one day after class, he called me over. You know, the professors do this. It wasn't any particular thing. He says, Garrick, listen. You know, if you do what you, what you say you're going to do, which is uh, become a really good guy lawyer for really good, good, good causes, I promise you there will be an endless number of good causes for you to stand up for and work for. Garrick, that brings me back to sort of pre-college um, I understand that your best friend in high school was William Barr. Oh, I'll talk a bit about that. I'll talk a bit about that. Um, but let me say, Frost said, 
Frost said right after that, Frost said, but I promise you, if instead of doing that, you go and do the causes you are drawn to, I promise you, there will be good legal help to help you in the causes that you could create. And that's the course I eventually took. That was a turning point for that's me. Good. What about Bill Barr? Bill Barr, Barr and I were in high school together, and that was back in the day where you sat alphabetically. Barr, Beck. So when we came in seventh grade, we sat alphabetically, and we sat next to each other for many, many, many years. What school was this? Uh, Horace Mann, uh, Bronx, New York. Private school. That's where I met uh, Jeremy Lawrence. Jeremy went there and I took off to read together. And you can read about that story in the book. Oh, my goodness. But, uh, I'll drop a link to the book in the chat. Uh, there, there is a question um, from both Craig and Allison, wondering what those key elements or key tenets of, new, of a new world culture would be. I'm with you. Number one is really radical, and that is that the, um, the nation-state corporate bankster system is archaic, and it won't work for what we need in the future. And the number two is that the human species is one colossal human family, and we need to cooperate with each other, and the banks, the corporations, and the governments, even at their best, aren't really going to deliver that. So what we need to do is not try to take it all over economically or take it all over politically or uh, take it all over militarily, but to change the culture, the way people feel, the way people think, so that their ideas are broadened to include all of humanity as their sisterhood, their brotherhood, to include all of the earth as our nest and not as a resource to be plundered. Now, a lot of these ideas seem very commonplace today. But in those times, this was radical stuff. And this was putting together things that came out of the arts of Gary Snyder and the arts of the expressionist painters and the arts of, uh, of the beats and before that, the Bohemians. And now it was spreading to a, a wider culture. And I believe it's spread around the world right now. And that's something we've been able to do with some of these events, these, uh, this uh, rainbow gathering stuff that I've been involved with as well. Um, what's the next question, Carrie? Well, or should I talk a little more about the rainbow gatherings? Because a couple of people in the audience specifically asked about that. So the concept, in a way, was this. The, there were all these threads of culture. There was a yoga thread. There was an education thread. There was a care for the elderly thread. There was a home birthing thread. There was, uh, I, 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 apologies to all the threads I've left out. But there was nothing that was weaving these together, was bringing these different people together to see the whole fabric. And I was looking for how to do that, how to do that, how to do that. And with a collective of people, we put together this concept of the rainbow gathering, non-commercial, very, very important. That's why the media has not really looked at us so carefully, except when we've sort of kaboomed in their faces, appeared in their faces. But uh, the idea was 
that we would go to public lands and make a community and a village and what would hold the village together really? And the answer to that was just a quiet sit in a circle for peace. Silent meditation, call it a prayer, call it a meditation. We're all just going to sit down together. And the Europeans started doing this under the full moon and on the equinoxes, and we picked 4th of July. And so the whole camp gets quiet on the 4th of July, and people just, some people don't want to go to some circle in some meadow with 8,000 people. No, 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 no. But they're in their camp up on the hill um, by the community bakery or by the children's village or by one of the entertainment centers, and they're being quiet. Everybody's just quiets it down. I write about that in the book a lot. And, and uh, people say to me, I think this is really important, what you think the people are going to get, going to make peace on earth by, by camping out in the woods together and sitting down in a circle and holding hands for peace, you think? No. And I don't think they're all going to go live in the woods in tents and that'll be the end of the cities. No. But I do think that in that situation, people learn each other's songs, each other's recipes, each other's stories, each other's lessons, each other's histories, and learn that we are not the enemy. How else can you teach that? And in the beginning, I saw the Rainbow Gatherings as a very spiritual event. In the middle, I mean, it's 50 years now. We're coming up to our 50th anniversary next year, 2022. In the middle, I saw these events as very political because the government tried to stop us with regulations. And we had court cases that's in, that's in the next book. And uh, we reached a truce with the government about our rights to assemble and gained rights for all all Americans to assemble on public lands in this process. And yes, there were good lawyers to come and help defend that cause. Absolutely. But the, um, another sip. But the, uh, the, do we have any other questions? The thing that I see now is that the gatherings around the world have become very, very, very educational. And that's, that's my bottom line right now. You want the solution, the solution is education. Give me a nation full of well-educated folks, all the problems will be solved. Give me uneducated folks, nothing we can do to fix it. Well, so Craig has a follow-up question, which is where does democracy fit into a new world culture? Um, and sort of within that, would a new world culture make democracy more functional? The answer to the second question is yes, absolutely. And um, by being more tolerant of different ideas other than our own, uh, we, we are able to uh, bridge the, the, the stormy waters. And the, the, uh, the question of how we do it is, here's two totally different examples. The 6th and B Garden, and most of those gardens are 501c3 corporations. And the Rainbow Gathering is absolutely nothing except people individually with no lawful association except hello. And that has been incomprehensible to the government, but that's how we are. That's what being a free and independent person is. And how do you have democracy in that? I'll show you in the slideshow. I've got some pictures of councils. So council, there's a rainbow council at, the, at these and people come and everybody speaks and you pass something around of, of, 
a feather or a toy or something, and then you pass it to the next person. It goes on all day, sometimes for days and days and days. But the government claimed that that was our organizing body. That was like our legislature. I said, no, like an open mic poetry reading. So in one case with the gardens, you have 501c3 corporations. In the other case, you have uh, something more like uh, just an open mic uh, free assembly of, of individuals. Should I play those slides now quickly? I'll run through them really fast. Sure. 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 If Let's we see. have time, Carrie, sure. I'm going to share screen again, and I'm going to roll through these really quickly. And here we go. Um, oh, I don't see it here. Oh, maybe it's up here already. Here it is. Here it is. Um, Uh -huh. Okay, there's that. And now I'm going to go to this. I'm going to roll through these quickly, but I think this will be this will be a lot of fun. Uh-huh. Here we go. All right, can you see that? Am I up? Have I yes. done thing? Have I done I sh yes? Good? Okay, there. This is the gathering in Fascar, Spain. Um Oh, I got to hit this, hit this, and there's Utah, 2014. Everybody photographs the circles because they're so dramatic. This is Georgia. We were in freaking Georgia ahead of the elections. This is Slovenia. So there are gatherings in places like Tajikistan, Cambodia, and people in the Tajikistan gathering from Hungary, from Poland, from, from, from Russia, from Donetsk, and, and from the Ukraine, right there in the middle of that conflict, all these people laughing, smoking, dancing, singing, sharing, cooking for each other, all for free, no money involved. Now, and all looking back at their countries over the shoulders, like, why can't the rest of everybody get along like this? Israelis, Arabs, all this kind of stuff, people getting together and uh, overcoming the boundaries. This is from the first rainbow. Lots of people trying to figure out how to deal with the blockade that the, the government had put up. That's our first circle, Colorado, 50 years ago. This is, oh, there's a lot of theatrical stuff in these. This is the pirate ship theater. Oh, goodness, people walk the plank, attack the village in the background. This is the big bird theater. Oh, this is the, uh, the puppet show with the story about the, the, the dentistry and the bad wizard witch who wants your teeth. Oh, my goodness. This is... Um, Source separation of recycling. I actually think that the Rainbow Gatherings were the first place uh, to source separate trash and color code it too. Uh, I don't need any credit for that. You know, it, was, it wasn't me. It was Swami Mommy. It was some of the other, the person who called herself the garbage guru invented this system for separating stuff at the source. We were recycling from the first gathering, but we had it all in garbage bags. And then we took it apart. It was nuts for the first couple of years, taking out the metal, taking out the plastic, taking out the burnable, taking out the compost. It was disgusting. So we learned about source separating our trash. And now it's being done all over the world. I don't need credit for this. The gathering doesn't need credit for this. We just need everybody to do it. This is council. This is one person standing in the middle of listening. It is boring. It is brilliant. It is uh, unique. Uh, this is Patch Adams, the doctor, uh, talking to us about health issues uh, in, in the council. Uh, oh, this is Vortex. Here we go. This is a whole other story. 
Um, but I show you some pictures. Here we go to Vortex, the festival, 1970, September, outside of Portland. It's a whole political story itself. Here's us building the stage. There you go, a bunch of logs, got a song, got a cut of We Were Such, Long Hairs, Wildcats. There we go, a bunch of Reedies involved in Vortex. See that ramp up there? There we go, building the stage. There's the stage built. There's the crowd. There's At the bottom of this is me and Karen, and she's in the dress. I'm in the headband. And what we did there before they got all electrical up for the music, we took arms like this and we went up slowly i mean at first it was just you know 20 people in a row nobody knew what was going on but we led it up that ramp onto the stage blow kisses and wave at the crowd below and then back down the ramp and as people saw that was happening people got on the line and got on the line and got on the line and got on line. thousands of people went up onto the stage and went back around of course there was no you know it wasn't sony and warner brothers it was uh, people that's us in the uh, in the water that's us playing drums in the village. Oh, this is another event. This is Alex Gray painting Cannabia in Amsterdam, where we took 40 people in a hotel room, arguing over who had the best pot and turned it into a four-day international festival about uh, seeds. And um, the seeds became the, uh, the money behind the, the, the festival, really. And this is Alex Gray, the artist, painting Cannabia, a character we invented uh, to uh, symbolize uh, the female aspect of the cannabis plant. This is the Living Theater at Burning Man. There's our box theater. There we are. Um, this is um, uh, Larry Harvey, a Burning Man co-founder, hanging out with me, hanging out with us in the Living Theater. Uh, this is me. Oh, gosh. Uh, they had a thing at dawn called the... Uh, the, the Deep Thinkers Symposium. So they put me on there. I'm like, Dawn, man, that's like the wrong time. But I realize there's all these people drifting through camp from an all-night of tripping and wandering around. They come down, they listen. What did I talk about? Talked about our new world culture and how we're developing this outside of the corporate, military, bankster, statist system. And that's what we've got to do. That's what's going to save us. This is Living Theater performing at Burning Man. There we go. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. That's it. That's my show. I'm going uh, done with screen sharing. Stop the share. That's great. Fabulous. So we've got several more questions in the chat, but I want to be mindful of time. If you've asked a question in the chat, um, and what I can do is I can send your question to Derek, and along with your contact information, he can respond to you via email. So if you want to do that, just drop your email address in the chat. But I do want to end us on one question, which I think is perfect, a perfect way to conclude today. Um, how can people join up or work with your organization? How can they get involved? Well, the Children's Gardening Program is uh, through Trust for Public Land in New York City, though it's been replicated in other cities by all kinds of things. And as for the, uh, the Rainbow Gathering, I would say make plans to show up at the 50th anniversary next year, Colorado, July 1st through 7th, 2022. All the old timers are going to be there. All the youngsters who picked up on this are going to be there. The people from the World Gathering and the South American Gathering are going to show up because it's a 50th anniversary. Maybe the who knows, the press and the media will even listen to us mouth off a little bit about uh, uh, peace and understanding among peoples. Uh, I'd say make that plan. Um, you could, if you want information about it, 
uh, welcomehome.org. One word, welcomehome.org. There are hundreds of rainbow sites on Facebook. I can't keep track of them. Um, and I'm trying to step a little more in the background and let the next generation take it over because, uh, uh, you know, I stopped getting involved with, with so much with the politics and the water systems and the councils, and I just started making lemonade at the gatherings, like the old guy making, uh, making free lemonade for the kids. Uh, that's my new um, <clears throat> position. But what we say about the, the tribal stuff, the Rainbow Family Tribe, is that the old tribes had a lot of knowledge. This relates to the democracy question about how to get along with each other, that the nation state system has tried to eradicate. And yes, a lot of the constitution is taken from the Iroquois nations, I know that. But we need to regain some of our tribal knowledge. All people came from tribes. All the tribes understood they were families. All the families had their clans. It's not like we have to organize this strictly, but we have to understand this because it will make us wiser human beings. Thank you, Garrick. Um, you are ending your remarks on, on a note that is going to be remembered in the future as something in 2021 that made allusions to our indigenous heritages. And I thank you for that. Um, on behalf of the class of 1971 Reunions Committee, I want to thank you, Garrick, for sharing your fascinating journey with us. It has been exhilarating, inspiring, thought-provoking, and above all, entertaining to end our reunion on this note. I want to thank everyone again for attending and congratulate everyone on the successful achievement of the Class of 1971 Scholarship Fund. Have a great weekend. Have a great life. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everybody. Don't give up. Don't give in. Don't give out. See you around the bend. Mike. So I was down in the camp, uh, the pancake camp, and they, uh, it was because I'm from Denmark, they asked me to sing a Danish song. So, um, and they all try to sing it. So. It's around, therefore I thought it'd be kind of fun. We we could all sing a Danish song. Yeah. So I sing one line. First I'm gonna, first I'm gonna sing the whole thing, and then I'm gonna sing uh, short snips, and then I you can you can make a call back in in, in Danish. So um, so here it goes. It's it's a song about the the white clouds that comes down as rain, and then it goes <coughs> into the lakes, into the rivers that goes out into the lakes and into the sea, and then it the sun heats it up and then it goes up into steam and then it becomes white clouds and then the song starts over again so it's, it's around that way it's a very nice one when but i'm not going to challenge you guys with, with making it into a round but so <laughs> tomorrow it goes <laughs> Hviler i en lang sø, eller vugger ud i havet. Solen varmer hav og søger, vugten stiger op mod himlen og bliver til. So that's... Uh, so. Hvide skyer, der falder ned. 
There's such a fun, it's a Switzerland song that uh, uh, I could just, it's also around, but I'm, I'm not going to challenge you to sing it. This is. It's Bug House Square. It's Tuesday at 6 o'clock. It's, um, it's so many things. It's, uh, uh, it's a mess, man. It really is. Just a fucking mess. Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've been hearing his name all over the land. Hey, this week on Buckhouse Square, I'm, uh, uh, I don't know. Um, it just, it, it, just, it turned into a, just like a hopelessly shitty day from a sh- worse shitty day to a, oh, uh, just a bad day for the, for this country. Um, and uh, let this next two hours of music <laughs> reflect that. Although I have a lot of contributors as well, so we'll get to that. So uh, thanks for doing what you got to do to do. Uh, this is Bug Out Square, Jimmy Radio. You've done all you need to do. Stormy days, we pass the time away. Sleeping in some good warm place. Man, come along and we give him a little raise. Was that a vigilante man? Preacher Casey was just a working man. And he said, Unite all you working men. Killed him in the river. 
some strange man was that a vigilante man Does a vigilante man? Why does a vigilante man carry that sawed off shotgun in his hand? Would he shoot his brother and sister down? I rambled around from town to town. I rambled around from town to town. And they herded us around like a wild herd of cattle Was that the vigilante men? Have you seen that vigilante man? Have you seen that vigilante man? I've heard his name all over the land Stay.
Okay. 